Today's podcast is brought to you by Sukup Manufacturing. Sukup is the world's largest family-owned and operated manufacturer of grain storage, grain drying and handling equipment, and steel buildings. Learn more at sukup.com. That's S-U-K-U-P.com. The August WASDE proved to be a bombshell report for wheat markets as drought conditions persist around the world. Corn also had a bullish week, but might the global spread of the Delta variant throw a wrench in the hot market's gears? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The August WASDE dropped Thursday, August 12th, and proved to be one of the more surprising reports in recent months. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack some bullish wheat and corn numbers and to discuss how weather around the world continues to drive markets. We'll talk more about shifting demand, the uncertainty in USDA predictions as harvest approaches, and what factors from harvest wetness to the global spread of the Delta variant might mean for grains. Then we'll discuss livestock markets, trends in soybean crush, and the looming price increases in shipping right after this word from our sponsor. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Sookup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack some of the key topics inside this month's August World Supply and Demand Estimate. Todd, there was just so much in there. You know, going into this week and into this WASDE, were was this? Were you expecting it to be this? I don't know. Um, intense? Um, no, for the most part, no. Uh, I did. Uh, hope and expect that USDA would come up with slightly lower crop estimates for corn and beans. And they surpassed my expectations to the downside there. And then uh, on wheat, I thought there would be some modest changes, but uh, we really got a bullish adjustment in the wheat numbers on Thursday. And that was definitely a surprise. Yeah, bullish to say the least, um, which is it puts us in a really interesting position on the wheat side. But uh, let's start at the top and, and talk a little bit about corn. Um, yeah, what happened with the corn numbers, USDA's adjustments there? And, um, you know, how did the market react? Yeah, well, the first number that we all wanted to see was the crop estimate and the new yield estimate for new crop corn. And uh, that's where some of the bullish excitement started. 174.6 bushels per acre is the new yield estimate for this year's corn crop. That was lower than expected. Gives us a crop total of 14.75 billion bushels. And the big question on everybody's mind was, would the Eastern Corn Belt be uh, so fantastic that it would make up for losses in the Northwestern Corn Belt? And USDA's first answer in the month of August is no. Uh, we're going to have a lower crop overall than the trend line that was expected uh, earlier this year. 
There were also some demand adjustments made uh, on the old crop side. There was a uh, reduction in the export estimate, 75 million bushels. That was very close. I was expecting 80 million bushels uh, lower just because export activity has really dropped off for corn in the past several weeks. And we kind of all saw that coming, I think. Um, we also saw a, a little bit of an increase in the ethanol demand use for the current season, up 25 million bushels. And uh, that also was not a surprise as ethanol production has been running uh, very well. On the new crop side, the demand estimates were a little uh, surprising, but I think when corn, when USDA lowers the corn production estimate, uh, there's a tendency to offset some of that with the demand numbers. And that's what we saw yesterday, a um, reduction of 100 million bushels in the export estimate for corn from 2.5 down to 2.4. I'm not sure that makes sense, Sarah, because uh, as we're going to see later in the world numbers, Brazil's corn crop estimate was adjusted down substantially. We all know Brazil's had a horrible crop this year. Uh, that total may come down even farther uh, as the year uh, progresses. So anyway, Brazil's not going to be able to export as much corn this year as uh, they thought earlier in the season. So I, I have doubts about uh, the corn export number uh, coming down, but it is what it is for right now in this report. It helped offset some of the uh, production uh, reduction. And the other uh, demand estimate there, 100 million bushels less on feed demand, uh, which is always a little bit hard to explain, uh, but it, it's pretty minor in the scheme of things. Yeah, I want to dig into those kind of exports, both for the old crop and the new crop here, because, yeah, between what's going on in Brazil uh, and, you know, that that tapering maybe demand in China, I, I'm curious how you're making sense of what USDA is guessing at here or predicting here. Uh, is it just... Are, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? <laughs> well, let me give you the cynical answer first uh, that maybe we're all thinking, and that is the the old crop inning stocks at 1.12 billion bushels is um, historically very tight. That's the lowest corn surplus in eight years. And um, if we didn't make some lower demand adjustments in the new crop season, we would also be looking at uh roughly 1.1 billion bushels or less of ending stocks in the new crop season. And I think there's a reluctance overall to estimate corn supplies that tight this early when there's still a lot about demand we don't know. So I think that that's uh, the cynical part of my answer. The other part of the answer is that I think there was a theme in this uh, month's report from USDA that uh, they are expecting cautiously lower world demand estimates for all three grains. And I'm guessing likely uh, related to the resurgence of COVID and the Delta variant. Um, so I, I think that's also a factor that they would probably cite in uh, being a little more cautious on their demand estimates. And along with that, uh, as part of that same topic, we've got transportation costs, the shipping costs of corn and beans, are much higher this year. And, and that's all related to uh, structural problems uh, related to uh, the Delta variant and um, a, a lot of things. But uh, 
so there's there are some definite headwinds for our demand outlook in the new season. I'm curious too about you know how you're watching, how you're keeping an eye on China demand demand out of China at the moment. You mentioned you know it being expected that that sales were likely to taper off, but you know what is your perspective on what that demand might look like for the rest of the year? Yes. Well, uh, first I'll just say officially. Uh, USDA's estimate of corn imports did not change uh, this month. It's still at 26 million metric tons, which is just a little over a billion bushels and the same level of uh, imports that they have estimated for the current season. So that uh, big balloon of unexpected demand that we saw last year is expected to repeat again this year. That's USDA's uh, official view so far. There are concerns that China will find a way to ration back their corn demand somewhat this year, Uh, and they've tried to make efforts to increase corn production, but I think they're running into problems with weather uh, on that front. So I think it's honestly going to be very difficult for them to still um, ration back their corn use all that much. And... um, as far as we can tell from looking at the corn prices in China, they're still staying quite expensive, about $10.25 a bushel uh, translated to our currency. So uh, as far as we can tell, uh, it still looks very much like China is going to be a big buyer of corn again, in spite of what USDA is estimating right now. And as you know, we're watching domestic demand here as well. You mentioned the the feed demand as well as ethanol. Uh, what is all of that meaning for corn basis at the moment? Uh, basis is doing remarkably well. It's still uh, the strongest level in uh, eight years. If we take a look at cash corn bids across the Midwest, we see a lot of numbers with sixes in front of them. Uh, And in in the mid sixes is not uncommon, even as far west uh, and out there as South Dakota, we see 650 cash bids for corn. So that's really uh, quite remarkable for this time of year. You know, this is typically the time of year when uh, we're heading toward harvest and all the anticipation is about all the crop we're going to be pulling in in September and October. Uh, But that's not the case this year. The, The cash prices are staying quite firm. And uh, the, it looks like domestic demand is holding up very well. I want to switch over and talk a little bit about soybeans. Soybeans seems like it was the least p- potentially surprising um, part of this report. So give us kind of the top line readout of, of what adjustments were made on the soybean side. Yeah, you're right. It, w- it was a very uh, kind of a mundane uh, adjustment for soybeans. Um, if, if there was anything bearish, uh, the old crop ending stocks estimate was increased from 135 to 160 million bushels. That was a little higher than expected, and they did that by making slight reductions in the crush and export estimates um, both. Now, that's not a big change. It's still a very uh, extremely tight soybean market, and quite frankly, um, I, I still... Uh, I'm wondering what that September 30th report is going to look like when we get to the uh, quarterly grain stocks, which will tell us pretty pretty accurately uh, what U.S. soybean stocks are at the end of the current season. So uh, I, I still think there could be a surprise uh, in that uh, Cracker Jacks box 
that we're going to unravel on September 30th, uh, and we'll see. And one of the reasons I say that is because this August soybean contract, which expires Friday, is uh, still looking very strong. There's been no soybean deliveries. The August contract is trading about 60 cents above the September. So that tells me that supplies are still very tight. Demand is still very strong. And um, nobody's in any rush to let go of their soybeans. So uh, once again, I think that September 30th report will be real interesting when we get that final number. On the new crop side for soybeans, uh, of course, we were looking for the crop estimate. The new bushel per acre yield is 50. Uh, that's down slightly from the July estimate. The new crop total, 4.34 billion bushels is very low in light of the demand that we expect in the new season. Uh, so uh, the, the ending stocks estimate stayed the same for the new crop season at 155 million bushels. That's still historically tight, very supportive of soybean prices uh, where they're at. And in the new crop side, we also saw a slight reduction in the uh, crush and export total. But uh, again, that that export estimate, I think, has a lot more potential than USDA is showing at the current time. Yeah, I want to dive into that demand picture a little bit as well. I mean, I think this question applies both on the corn and soybean side. But are you are we starting to see these prices, you know, that have been elevated above kind of a, the historic average for for months and months now? What is that? Has that have we started to see any kind of downward pressure on feed? Uh, crush those kind of domestic markets for soybeans? Well, the, the, the crush activity has slowed dramatically this summer. And uh, partly, I think it's because the uh, market really ramped up crush earlier this year because I think every was, everyone was concerned about, are we going to have enough uh, crush product through the summer months when these soybean supplies are expected to get very tight? So I, I think the anticipation of those tight supplies actually gave us a lot of crush activity early. And then, but by the time we got to the summer months, it was kind of like, oh, we've got plenty of meal and um, bean oil supplies are doing okay. So that the crush incentives uh, came down and uh, we have not seen the, the crush activity so much this summer. If we look out to the futures months in the fall, um, the incentives look pretty good again. So I, I don't think it'll be too long before we start seeing a pickup in crush activity again. And uh, overall, cash soybeans have been kind of interesting. They really had a st very strong peak in early May, and we've dropped about $3 a bushel on the cash side uh, of soybeans since early May. But, you know, $13 uh, roughly is still a very good price uh, for soybeans. And, and fundamentally, it's right about in the neighborhood of where we would expect for this tight supply situation. Interesting. And um, looking across kind of at soybean basis for the country, how are things looking on that front? Um, uh, very good. But I will say the, the basis is showing signs of uh, rapidly weakening. So um, as we look at soybean bids across the Midwest, we're still looking at prices well into the $13 range and some uh, around Iowa and Indiana, even in the $14 range. The basis itself is now nine cents above the November contract. And that's that's actually coming down 
uh, quite a bit as we get closer to harvest. And so we are sensing some harvest pressure uh, in the basis year. But overall, this is still some of the strongest basis levels we've seen in seven years. So it's still a very good situation. I want to switch over to wheat because there's just so much to talk about there. Give us kind of, I don't even know if there is a top line readout for wheat, but uh, give us kind of the, the the broad strokes and we'll dive into specifics after that. Okay, sure. Uh, so uh, I, I cannot remember a WASD report that had so much good news for wheat uh, as this one has. It's been a long time. Uh, so uh, U.S. ending stocks were reduced from 665 million bushels down to 627. Uh, that's the lowest ending stocks uh, in eight years, if that holds up to be accurate. It came largely from a smaller production estimate of, of just under 1.7 billion bushels for the U.S. Obviously, we've had a lot of drought concern, uh, a lot of drought hit here in the U.S. throughout the northwestern plains, especially and the Pacific Northwest is just getting beat up horrendously. Uh, and there, there may be more. In fact, because when we get to the September 30th report, there's a small grain summary that comes from USDA. And in that report, they're actually going to look at harvested acre numbers for spring wheat. So, uh, you know, we suspect that a lot of those acres were abandoned this year because of drought uh, situation. And so that total will uh, actually show up on September 30th. So, as I say, this, this crop could even get tighter in that regards. On the world side, we also saw a significant drop in USDA's estimate of world-ending wheat stocks from roughly 292 million metric tons down to 279 million metric tons. And it largely came from uh, very big crop reductions for Canada and Russia, uh, larger than expected reductions uh, that uh, brought, brought that total down. So now we're looking at the lowest ending stocks uh, for world wheat in five years. Uh, and uh, they're, they're still at a comfortable level overall. The, the uh, est estimated ending stocks to use ratio is 35 and a half. So that's still up there in a comfortable range. But we're down from the real bearish peak of about 40% two years ago. So uh, the, the world picture has kind of trimmed down for us. And the U.S. is having some very serious drought conditions. The, uh, the U.S. wheat that is going to be in the tightest supply situation this year is spring wheat. And uh, their ending stocks to use ratio uh, is going to be about the lowest in 14 years. Uh, or excuse me, their ending stocks are going to be the lowest uh, in 14 years. So we're going to have a very long year ahead of very tight uh, spring wheat prices. Uh, or spring wheat supplies, and that's going to keep prices elevated uh, for many months, I think. Wow. Yeah, there's just so much in there. And I think, you know, a big part of this um, that is per was perhaps unexpected is we've just been so focused in the U.S. with our drought situation in the Northern Plains in particular that, you know, maybe there hasn't been as much focus or attention paid to other parts of the world that are also experiencing kind of severe weather um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious how the market is reacting in terms of, you know, was this well known or was this a pretty big shock to to traders? You know, I think we all expected some 
modest reductions in the crop estimates. And of course, just in the past week, we've been hearing a lot about lower uh, crop estimates for Russia coming from private sources. Uh, and so uh, I think, however, though, the surprise was seeing them all put together in this particular report coming at the same time. And the fact that they did come in, I think, more aggressively lower than most people expected USDA to respond. That was where the surprise was. Uh, and and uh, by the way, uh, uh, Thursday's cash prices for uh, hard red winter wheat and the hard red spring wheat hit their highest levels in seven years and nine years, respectively. So uh, it, it gave quite a boost to our U.S. wheat prices. Todd, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup grain storage, drying, and handling products provide solutions that help you protect and preserve the world's grain supply. And Sookup Steel Buildings protect the tools and equipment you use to produce it. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. Sookup Manufacturing Company, engineering solutions since 1963. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, you know, I think seeing USDA's predictions and given the the last, what we've seen over the last, you know, several months um, from USDA, I'm curious how much confidence you have in these numbers. I mean, we know we can see the, um, the conditions in Russia and Canada in the Northern Plains. So in terms of impact, it seems like we have a pretty good idea, but in terms of how precisely the USDA has uh, adjusted export figures or, um, you know, these yield reductions, how confident are you in these predictions? <laughs> um, I, I would say I in, in the general direction, I think uh, the moves in this August report were in the right direction. Um, but I have no illusions that we're going to see uh, these numbers keep changing, I think, pretty actively, probably up and through the December report uh, for wheat is kind of the typical MO. But the, the changes as we move forward in time ought to get smaller and smaller. So um, we'll this, you know, this will be an active fluid process. And by the way, while we're on that topic, I'm glad you asked because I, I like to take every occasion to remind people that estimating corn and soybean crops in the month of August is incredibly hard. And um, even USDA, with all the resources that they have at their disposal, uh, their 90% confidence interval on the corn crop is plus or minus 7%, which equates to roughly give or take a billion bushels. So it's, you know, it's a very early time of year for corn and beans to make. Uh, confident estimates. So the I, the best we can hope for is just kind of a a general view of the direction we're headed. And I think overall USDA got that right on Thursday. We're also dealing with this kind of global, at least to some extent, you know, there's the, the just COVID related supply chain disruptions, you know, the increase in cost of shipping, the increase in, in costs related to, you know, energy and raw materials and just the actual shop costs of shipping. Um, is that having an impact in agricultural markets at the moment? Um, I, I would have to say yes. I think 
right now, it's still probably under the category of potential concern. Um, but, uh, you know, I, those shipping costs, I definitely think, uh, are, um, uh, keeping export views cautious. And as an example, uh, China's bought 423 million bushels of new crop corn already. Uh, of course, the new crop season hasn't started yet. We're not quite yet to those delivery periods. But I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how quickly they ship uh, the corn and soybeans that they've bought, or will they choose to kind of hang on for a while uh, hoping that those shipping costs will come down. I think that's that'll be kind of an interesting question as we move forward. Uh, it, it's quite possible that they they get their sales on the books, but uh, then maybe don't ship as quickly as they usually do because of those shipping costs. So that'll be something to watch. Well, and then the other half of that kind of uncertainty question uh, that I have for you is, you know, it, we're also not quite yet at, you know, the the doorstep of harvest, so to say, we there's still a little bit of time for things like weather to take effect. As you're looking at forecasts over the next several weeks, is there anything that's causing you concern, or do you think we're we're locked in? Locked in is the wrong word to use for weather, but we're on a path that that gives you confidence. That um, yeah, that gives you confidence. Yeah, well, um, I am cautiously optimistic, holding my breath for Northwestern producers that there could be some decent rain chances here in the next two-week period. Um, and I know we've seen forecasts come and go, and there's been a lot of disappointment this year with rain totals not showing up. Um, but it, it does look uh, as if basically starting Wednesday of next week and going out to the two-year period that the the western growing states are going to see increased chances for at least moderate rain amounts now i've talked to uh our our weather authority john Brannick at dtn and he tells me that a lot of those rain chances are going to be in the form of spotty showers so there's been a bit of you know rain lottery going on this year uh and and a lot of the areas in the northwestern growing areas have really uh, survived or hung on by a thread by just spotty showers that have come through now and then. Well, it looks like they'll have a little better chances uh, to get some some benefit from that rain lottery here the next couple of weeks. And outside of wheat, uh, are you... With what you know about the forecast for this coming fall, does uh, any concerns about harvest challenges, you know, any additional limitations in just getting the crop out of the field? And, you know, as you as you consider that possibility, recognizing the fact that the tight stocks are already incredibly tight, what could, you know, a harvest disruption mean for the numbers that we're looking at now? Yeah. Uh, so before I answer that question, I feel like I should clarify that those August weather comments I just made were really pertaining to corn and beans. Um, rain at this point in the forecast will not help the wheat crop at all. Um, so maybe now I can move into the wheat harvest question. <laughs> okay. So no, it doesn't look like there's any significant disruptions in the wheat harvest uh, forecast. The winter wheat harvest is almost done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. The winter wheat harvest uh, is almost done, just wrapping up basically in the most Western areas. 
the spring wheat harvest ought to make pretty quick progress. Um, there's not a lot of rain or not enough rain to slow down that harvest progress. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of crop to be harvested. So uh, that ought to go fairly quick. And uh, it's it's hard to imagine, I guess, at this point, uh, some event popping up and really uh, making the spring wheat harvest any worse than it's already going to be. So it's already in very tough shape. So I'm curious, you mentioned the impacts that the, just to broaden out the scope a little bit more, um, you've, you talked a little bit about the consequences of the Delta, the spread of the Delta variant and how there's been a little bit of interaction potentially or, or impact on, on markets, you know, as you watch the news and information coming out outside of the agricultural space, how are you expecting that to be felt or seen in the market over the next couple months? Yeah, um, good question. Um, the, the concern is that, of course, this Delta variant seems to be popping up in just about everywhere, but it seems like it's especially hit Asian countries hard. And a lot of those are good grain customers. Uh, and of course, uh, we hear that it's spreading throughout China's cities. They had travel warnings in 46 cities reported last week. And um, that's not encouraging. And it's not so much that people are going to stop eating or need to stop eating, but it's going to be more difficult to transport grain. And that seems to be where the real problem comes. It's in the food supply chain uh, and, and keeping that those channels open and actively moving. That's the real challenge. Um, and probably uh, one of the best proxies we still have for that is like crude oil demand and gasoline demand. And uh, 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 also you can throw ethanol demand in there. And so far they're, they're holding up fairly well. And um, it's also very encouraging. Uh, last week's jobs report here in the U.S. Uh, we're showing uh, good improvement in the job numbers. Uh, so that's all very encouraging. In China, I understand their GDP might get downgraded here in the third quarter. Um, but uh, overall, it, you know, it's, again, very difficult to get credible information out of China. And uh, so we keep watching their prices uh, on their futures board for any indications of panic or change. And so far, we haven't seen anything in that regard yet. So, so far, it looks like business as normal. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a strong, very strong effort on all countries' part to keep that food supply moving. I'm curious as well, as you look to some of the other, you know, news stories that we're hearing about right now, I mean, the two that come to mind are the administration and Congress have gotten a, an infrastructure plan, plan mostly across the finish line. Uh, that could have some potential impacts for agriculture or, um, you know, there's been some, a, a lot of disruptions in the Middle East, especially in Afghanistan this week. Any, you know, are any of those, when you see those news stories come out this summer as kind of harvest approaches, any of those making you think, you know, we might feel some of that, some of the fallout of those um, events in agricultural markets? First of all, you know, for, for agriculture, having a healthy infrastructure is just super vital. So it's very encouraging to me that both parties are getting together and make progress on this. And that's something we haven't seen in many years. And it's been sorely needed, uh, especially in a lot of our rural areas. 
uh, where, uh, you know, bridge, uh, bridges out or in ill repair cause people to have to drive much farther to haul grain or haul livestock. And uh, we still have a lot of people in the country that don't have good access to broadband. All those things are so important. And of course, uh, we we saw the, the importance of uh, keeping our river systems in good shape for that barge traffic earlier this year when we had a, a, a bridge problem in Memphis. So uh, all these things are crucial. They're vitally important. They're, you know, there are some things that the private sector just can't do on its own. And these infrastructure investments uh, are something that we really needed. So that, to me, that's very encouraging. And those are good long-term investments that uh, pay off for many, many years. The uh, other things happening in the world, there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, I, when you think of the popularity of Bitcoin, people's concern about inflation, as you mentioned, pulling out of Afghanistan. Um, so far, this is all kind of uh, background noise to the grain markets uh, at the moment, but it's something that we just kind of monitor. And then if, if something changes that it does start to invade uh, the world of grain and food supply, uh, then we try to talk about it real quickly. Updates on livestock markets. Any surprises that you saw in this report or that you're expecting to see in the next couple months? Oh, gosh, you know, the, <laughs> the, um, no surprises, I would say. It, um, it, it still looks like we're stuck with kind of flat to slightly higher cash cattle prices. And of course, uh, that's discouraging when you see box beef trading up over $20 this week. Uh, we continue to have that big disconnect there. On the pork side, uh, I'll tell you, I scratched my head. The, the fourth quarter pork production total is up 10% from the third quarter production total. And I'm uh, still wondering how that works out in the real world. I'm just <laughs> not sure where all those hogs come from all of a sudden. Uh, or the capacity to process them comes from all of a sudden. So uh, that that one's got me puzzled. But, uh, you know, that's one reason why at DTN we tend to look a lot more at the market clues and what they're doing, because um, I, I can't always make good sense of uh, USDA's estimates. I guess the only other one question I had was just as we look, you talked a little bit about the September 30th report um, we'll have a WASD in the month of September. Any other kind of big ag news items you are going to be keeping an eye out for in the next month or so? Mm, boy, there's so much going on. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, one thing that we keep watching for is when is EPA going to come out with the uh, renewable volume obligations for 2021 and 2022? There's a lot of... Uh, concern about debate going on within the White House administration about um, how they're going to kind of balance the interests of oil and, and the renewable fuels groups. And um, it, it's uh, hard to know in this new administration just how that's going to swing and, and how that's going to affect the uh, mandate levels that come out from EPA. So that's a bit up in the air. Overall, I would like to think that they uh, still are largely supportive of uh, ethanol and biodiesel and uh, continue to support uh, our, our ag groups in that area. 
uh, especially uh, for an administration that is uh, reportedly committed to clean energy and, and all the benefits of that. So um, at, at the same time, you know, you can't underestimate the power of the oil lobby. So it's, I think it's a tough fight. And um, it's, we, we've seen a lot of uh, court rulings go against renewable fuels this year. Uh, thankfully, we've gotten by some Fridays now. We haven't had anything. Hopefully, we won't have one <laughs> on Friday afternoon again. Uh, hopefully, those are done for a while. But uh, I, I think that uh, uh, renewable mandate uh, announcement will be a big thing to look forward to. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Soakup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Soakup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Soakup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sukup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later.